This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Gabrielle Earnshaw. She is the founding archivist of the Henry J.M. Nowen Archives and Research Collection in Toronto, Canada. Uh, She has recently edited the book, You Are the Beloved, Daily Meditations for Spiritual Living. Uh, Gabrielle, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on our show today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Gabrielle, um, you came to my attention um, when the uh, your new book was released, and um, I had heard about Henry Nowen because a friend of mine, Robert Jonas, was a friend of his mm-hmm. and uh, wrote about him, and we had Jonas on the show. And mm-hmm. I was shocked uh, that uh, somebody as uh, well regarded and as well known as uh, Henry Nowen had escaped my attention for, you know, <laughs> until very recently. Uh-huh. So, so it was very. Uh, we were interested in having you on to speak about him uh, and uh, what he has to offer to people uh, in contemporary spiritual circles. Um, tell us how you discovered Henry now and what your own background was that brought you to this. Okay, well I think I'm a I'm quite unusual, I think, in how I came to Henry Now and I came to him because I was his archivist and uh I in fact didn't know him when I began my work, uh which sounds quite terrible now to think of, but at the time um archivists just go to the collections that need them and and they needed an archivist to care for uh, Henry Nouwen's extensive archival legacy that he left behind when he died in 1996. And I was hired in 2000 to process and catalog the... It's, uh, there's enough papers there that would fill uh, a football stadium, half, half a football stadium, you know, length of a field. It's, it's a huge collection that he left of letters and manuscripts and um, uh, collected material, photographs, you, you name it, he kept it. And um, so that was my introduction to Henry Now, and I had known him um, because of his work with Larsh. And Larsh is um, an organization that he ended up um, being a pastor for, and it's an organization that in, that centers itself around people with mental and physical handicaps. And he had spent the last 10 years of his life in Toronto uh, working in one of the large communities, and I had known about that, and I felt that it might be a good fit for me to, to care for his records. That's how I got to know him. And then um, an archivist has this very privileged position of reading everything that he left behind but then it also um it was also that i began to meet all of his friends people like robert jonas and and others very incredible people in their own right and they started telling me about the impact that henry Nowen had on their lives and these a lot of his friends have gone on to do very important um activist work but also just just excellent uh christian leadership in the world and just um uh environmental stewards people who have gone on to because of henry Nowen's um impact on their life have gone on to be people who want to carry on his message and in in whatever way that is um and his message primarily is that 
we are the beloved children of God, and it is from the spiritual identity of being a child of God that we can go out into the world and be a force for for good and for and ultimately for love, for being mm-hmm. loving people. Gabrielle, let and me. Uh, that's yeah. how I. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. That's Let me let me follow up on that. Uh, so you came to this, and obviously you were inspired by his work or not. Uh, uh, Henry mm-hmm. Nowen was a, a, a Jesuit priest, uh, very scholarly. He, he was actually not a, pr- a Jesuit priest, but that's. Um, uh-huh. But he was a. He was became a diocesan priest in Holland. Okay. So he, he wasn't. He wasn't uh, belonged to the Jesuit okay, order. Okay, so that's a particular order of priests. Uh, very scholarly, taught at Yale, taught, taught at Harvard, uh, taught at some of the yeah. top uh, uh, religious schools. Uh, were you, in fact, uh, raised a Catholic and? Did you have a uh, kind of a spiritual awakening, or did it uh, bring you to a new understanding and level of uh, inspiration in the area of spirituality, uh, working on his papers that you didn't anticipate when you when you took the job? Well, that's probably an understatement. I I wasn't I didn't grow up in a house that had any kind of church or faith or religion of any kind. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a very very secular household, and but something in my life. Um, even from a, a as a child, I was drawn to church uh, churches. I was drawn to something that was being offered in a church that wasn't being offered in my life. And I think that it's not an accident that I became Henry Nowen's archivist. As I mentioned, I it was because of his work at L'Arche. Um, and L'Arche is a community that is based on the gospel. It's based on the Beatitudes. And Henry was drawn there you mentioned that he was um, an academic, and he was. He worked, and uh, he was a tenured academic at, at, Har- at Yale and Harvard. But he actually left his tenured position, which is very unusual, to join L'Arche. So he had, was actually living downward mobility. And I think when I, I started probably when, as a 30-year-old or something, I'm now um, just en- exiting my 40s, mm-hmm. and... Um, I think that in that decade, the 16 years that I was his archivist, I, I started um, being heavily impacted by the way that he described such his own experience, not a, not a theological uh, description, but his own experience of a loving God. And this, this is very powerful because in a way I had been raised as a feminist and as someone who could be quite critical of the church. Um, I studied history, so I, I knew, you know, th- what had happened um, in the world as a result of, of the church. But, I, but his description of this loving, compassionate God that he knew so intimately, that who he spent time with, who he was dedicating his life to, was very formational for me. And um, I would say that now I have, um, I don't know if you'd call it a spiritual awakening, but I certainly am very aware of the importance of the spiritual life. I practice meditation daily, um, very much influenced by Henry Nouwen in that. The book, um, You Are the Beloved, that we're, that we're talking about today, it has a, um, I, I made sure to include many descriptions of of what Henry describes as the reasons why we would want to include 
things like solitude and silence and prayer in our daily lives. And that's, that's certainly something that has impacted my life and is an integrated, woven, interwoven part of my life. Interesting. Um, from what I know, um, Henry Nowen, should we call him Father Nowen? Is that the proper? No, no, he liked to be called Henry. Okay, Henry. Yeah, yeah. H- Henry, uh, <laughs> Henry had a lot of challenges in his life. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. from what I read, you, t- you speak about large, uh, and we should, uh, just for our listeners, that's L apostrophe capital A-R-C-H-E. Large. Um, The French word for arc. And uh, as in arc de triomphe, I guess. And um, so he um, apparently uh, entering that work uh, with uh, people with mental handicaps and in a, you know, sort of uh, service oriented Mm -hmm. as opposed to academic work Mm -hmm. um, seemed to have been very transformational for him. And he was. Uh, in his 50s when he uh, went there. Could you talk mm-hmm. about that? Mm-hmm. Well, I can say that um, part of what appeals to many people who are drawn to the, to the writings of Henry Nouwen is that he is a person who used his own life as a way of reaching out to other people. And his life was not uh, free from suffering at, in fact, it was actually a life of struggle. I think that he would he would describe it that way. He struggled with loneliness. I think the loneliness is celibacy. He struggled with his sexuality. He was a gay man um, as a priest. He he struggled with anxiety and um, and a restlessness. He he had a, a kind of a he came from a very successful family, and so he had a he had something in him that wanted to be very successful and very popular and, you know, do the upward mobility um, thing. And he actually had the capacity to do that and, and did reach high heights um, in the academic world, publishing 39 books. But really what was going on for Henry Nowen is that he was trying to live his suffering well. It was, and that's something where, so he, what he means by that is that he didn't, he didn't shut down. He didn't become resentful. He didn't become bitter. He didn't, you know, um, sort of turn off his emotions or his feelings. So, in fact, he became a person who was very open and raw with his, with his experience and, his, and, and in a way that wasn't always flattering to himself. Mm-hmm. He, he, um, and this is what made other people feel like they could they could possibly open themselves up honestly as well. And in fact, some, the people who, who have been influenced by him this way, it, it gives you a tremendous freedom to no longer have to wear the mask and to, and to sort of, um, you know, just sort of keep on, you know, even as you're aging or retiring or, you know, all these various ways in which our lives don't kind of measure up to the world's expectations, but they, but they feel, because of Henry Nouwen's example, they can be more free with their brokenness, more free with their vulnerability. And Henry's big insight by moving to L'Arche was that it, was, it wasn't that he was helping the, the handicapped people, they were helping him, and that he recognized his own handicaps by being with people who had such had more obvious hand, handicaps, mm-hmm. so it became um, a, a fellowship of the weak, and 
and and and a kind of a very intentional um, to be poor with the poor, mm-hmm. and and so it, I think that it's as much as it's his writing, it's the way he lived his life that's so inspiring and so inspiring to me, um, mm-hmm. but so inspiring to other people. Uh, How you, interesting. If yeah. I could follow up, Dennis, um, I think one of the complaints you hear from people um, on spiritual paths is the lack of authenticity sometimes of oh, spiritual right. leaders and teachers That's who, right. <laughs> yeah. who feel the need to project some kind of right. aura of holiness or perfection. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and, right. and that, it must be uh, quite refreshing to come mm-hmm. upon someone like Henry. Absolutely. I mean, he wrote a book called The Wounded Healer. This was way back in, in 74. And, I mean, he was talking about being a wounded healer then. And it doesn't mean, you know, that you just sort of spill your guts and, and you know, have other people help you, you know, get over it. What he, what he was really talking about was, I can use my own suffering as a way to understand someone else's. It makes me, it breaks me open and makes me a compassionate person. Mm-hmm. I can be that way with other people when I have bound up my wounds. So it's, it's not easy to do it when you're in the midst of something very, very difficult. But after you've had, you've been able to, through love and kindness and, and you know, community and friendship, uh, that after you've been able to bind up your wounds, you're able to then be much more compassionate towards other people. Mm-hmm. And he really, he often spoke about laying down my life for my friends. He, he said that over and over again, and he didn't mean it that he was you know, going to be a physical martyr. He meant that he was going to open up his experience, which wasn't, which wasn't um, pretty. It wasn't, it wasn't something that a, a lot of people would want to show other people, but he did it in the service of helping other people be more accepting and loving and towards themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Gabrielle, in their uh, own brokenness. Yeah. Uh, in, in you mentioned that uh, he suffered uh, loneliness, yeah, and, yeah. and depression. In 1974, yeah. he went into a Trappist monastery for seven months. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, deciding that wasn't for him. Do you think he went into a Trappist monastery? to confront his loneliness, to deal with that, to explore himself, or was going into the monastery uh, one of the causes of his feelings of loneliness? Hmm. That's an interesting thing to contemplate. I mean, I, I guess I've, I've always thought that his, the draw to the monastery was because, even though he was probably the furthest thing from a contemplative, he was very drawn to the practice of contemplation. Um, he understood, and he did live in his own way, um, a life centered around a relationship with God. And the, I think the pull to the monastery was to make that the one thing and, and, to, and, to, um, and to just develop and, and spend time with God in prayer and in silence and in solitude. I think that he left the monastery... Now that you mentioned, I think that one of the reasons why he left the monastery is because he just was a very social person. And he, he did leave the monastery to then go and do um, social justice work in Latin America. So what was happening for him, in, this is in his sort of 30s and 40s. Um, this was more, these years were more about discernment of where God was calling him. 
And so he explored, he explored the university, the academy. He explored the monastery. And then he explored social justice activism in, in Latin America. And, and so I would say that the leaving um, from the monastery due more, was due more in part to this draw that he felt to, to do work in Latin America, which was experiencing mm-hmm. huge amounts of political turmoil at the time. Interesting. Do you know, um, it, does it show up in his writings or any biographical information? Uh, well, these are two related questions. One, um, did he uh, have contact with, or maybe he was too young for that, but was was Thomas Merton an influence yeah, Yes, I, I believe he was, right? I read that, yeah. Ah, and did he um, write about um, or explore um, traditions outside of Catholicism mm-hmm. the way Merton did? I would say this. I would say that Henry Nouwen would would say that the spirit blows where it pleases. In fact, he did he did say that, and he did write that. Um, I don't think that he felt like that that the Catholic Church or the Christ- Christianity he ha- had any sort of monopoly on God. Um, I think, though, that he was more... Uh, he was very firmly rooted in the Catholic Church, and what, I'd say his influence was more on Protestants, especially evangelical Protestants, hmm. about teaching them the uh, about the spiritual life, about things like um, contemplation, meditation, um, solitude and silence. I think that those that was more his influence. He was very ecumenical. Um, and when um, I love this story about um, that his friend Sue Mosteller tells that the reason why they invited him to L'Arche, um, the, the particular community in Toronto is called L'Arche Daybreak, is because they were experiencing a lot of... Um, they had welcomed a lot of core members. That's what they call the people with handicaps. They'd welcomed a lot of core members with, from a variety of religious traditions. And it was getting difficult to know what to do every Sunday because, you know, they were trying different ways of including people or just having a service for one particular, uh, you know, faith tradition each Sunday. And, and they were kind of uh, pulling out their hair about it. And when they invited... Henry, they said, oh, Henry, you know, we've got this big problem. We've got all these people with all these, from all these different religious traditions, and we don't know what, to we, what we should do. And he just smiled, and he said, you can see this as a problem, or you can see this as a gift. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, that is how he was. He was a very um, open-minded, very inclusive person. Mm-hmm. And, and, and though he was I think what contributes to the power of, of Henry Nowen, the power of his spiritual insights, is that he, he did this from a place of being deeply rooted in the Catholic faith. He, he celebrated the Eucharist every single day, um, either alone or with friends or within a, within, you know, a, a church. And it was this sort of, he was grounded, rooted, anchored in his faith. And, and he had a very personal relationship with Jesus through because of his uh, intentional time that he spent every day with God and with Jesus. And so it made him much more able to be inclusive, mm-hmm. ironically yeah. or, yeah. Um, you know, um, paradoxically, that it made him more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabriella, uh, who within the Catholic Church now, what group, because there are many factions within Catholicism, mm-hmm. 
uh, is most attracted yeah. to him today? I, I don't think I can answer that question. We did just celebrate, um, we had a, just a conference, I just came back from it, um, a conference that was based on Thomas Merton and Henry Nouwen as spiritual guides for the 21st century at Yale Divinity School. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a Protestant school, but they said that, that now um, a good portion of their students are Catholic, and it might be because of Henry Nouwen, because Henry Nouwen taught there. Interesting. Um, about your uh, new book, You Are yeah. the Beloved, um, the author is uh, Henry Nouwen. You're listed as the uh, editor. You did the compilations. Um, he was a voluminous writer. Um, it must have been quite a task to come up with short excerpts for daily meditation, being 365 of them. Um, yeah. um, tell us how you made the selections and whether there's um, a sequence that uh, you sure. were conscious of. Sure. Um, well, yeah, Henry Nowen wrote 39 books, and what I decided to do, um, and he himself, in the year that he died, he died in 1996, he had actually written his own daily meditation book, and people have been using it um, for, well, since he's died, uh, and so people are, are looking for some new meditations, and we knew that, um, and so I was determined that we wouldn't use anything from that book, so but I decided that I would try to draw something from every other book that he wrote. So that's 38 books. And I read them in chronological order. And what I did is I, I underlined anything that I thought um, looked, looked that, that had an impact on me. And I ended up doing, uh, creating a Word document that was 600 pages long. Um, it, it had, uh, I mean, I, I, there's, there were so many amazing quotes by Henry Nowen, 600 pages worth, and I had to get that down to 365. And what I just did is I just tried, I wanted these meditations, it's, it, it's, I wanted these meditations to be something that would give people encouragement and inspiration when they read them. I want, uh, Henry Nowen was very, very good at unmasking our illusions, as he would call them, unmasking sort of the way that our society tells us like we were t- discussing at the beginning, you know, who we are. And, um, and I, I felt like I wanted, to do, I wanted to do that to show his brilliance in sort of naming the problems that, you know, plague us. But, I, but more than that, and I wanted these meditations to be encouraging because I know that Henry would want that. His, his whole purpose, his, why he did what he did, like we were talking about laying down my life for my friends, it was to encourage people on the way, encourage them on their spiritual journeys. And I felt like if people are going to buy this book and sit with a meditation each day, I want the, the, the meditation to only have one thought, so that was important, so that you wouldn't get sort of bogged down in, in sort of ideas. And, and I, wanted to, I wanted it to be encouraging. Mm-hmm. So that you could go out into your day or go to sleep um, with a sense that uh, feeling hopeful and um, and encouraged, you know, to, to because we all have to do things like hard things, like forgive people who have hurt us, or you know, reconcile with with, with difficult people in our lives. We have to we have to sort of manage our own self rejection. There's there's so much that we need to do, and I. 
um, to, to sort of to be good people, to live well and to be people of, mm-hmm. of God. And, and that's what the purpose of the book is, and that's how I select it. Right. Gabriela, uh, question. Uh, you know uh, Henry Nouwen very well from his writings and what his friends and other people have said about him. If you had the opportunity to ask him a question now, and he had the ability to answer you, uh, what would you ask him? I think I would ask him, what, what is it to be, that you think people need to hear right now? I think that he, when he was alive, he was... He had his. He was a psychologist. Um, we haven't mentioned mm-hmm. that yet, but he he was a priest, but he was also a psychologist, and so he had this unbelievable ability to to see what was um, happening to people, where they were struggling, where they were suffering, and to name it. He called it naming things that are hidden under the threshold of consciousness. I just love that, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that that's what I would sit down with him and just say, Henry. Where, where is the hunger right now? How can we feed it? Um, what, what, you know, what book needs to be written now? What, what, um, what word of hope needs to be given? And how can I do that? That's what I think what I would be asking him because that's what he was always doing. He was first and foremost, although he was such a prolific writer and such a good teacher and speaker, he was at heart a pastor. He he wanted to. He wanted to help people to live as fully and as freely as they could, mm-hmm. and and I think that I think that that's what I would ask him. I would, and it probably wouldn't be a one word answer. Right, I think right. you'd have to have have a while to uh-huh. to to really get at that and mm-hmm. and see what is what would be the the way to to address it. What are the words that need to be said? What is the action that needs to be taken? I I think that's what I would ask him. Uh, Gabrielle, um, from what I can discern about Henry's life um, and his message, uh, the title of the new book seems to uh, encapsulate what people say uh, was the main thing he wanted to let people know, that Mm -hmm. you are the beloved. And you hear, you know, you grow up and you hear religious people saying, you know, God loves you. Um, And... um, And, you know, when I was a kid, I used to say, what do you know? You know, and uh, and what does that mean? Is God a person that loves you like my grandfather loves me? I mean, what does that mean? And, you know, and now I've got a different understanding of the spiritual life and the the way the cosmos works. And so when I hear a term that almost sounds like um, God is a a volitional uh, person who you know, decides to love you. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, this is such a great, great, important thing to, to talk about because in a way, um, you are the beloved is different than you are beloved. Yes. I think we are beloved. And God, and, and God does love us. So th- th- that's, um, but, but, but the book and what Henry Nouwen was talking about was about our spiritual identity. Mm. It's about who we are, which is one of the, biggest, in my life anyway, who am I? And what, what am I here for? Um, and the fact that he, this is, yes, you're right, that this is probably the most important message of Henry Nouwen's writings, although there were many. Um, you are the beloved. 
You are not what you do. You are not who you know. You are not how much money you have. You are not how beautiful or thin you are. You know, these, all of those things, they go away. And then people go into, you know, into into crisis because they're they're aging or they're retiring or they've lost their job or they're or they gained weight or they you know they they've they've lost somebody that they've absolutely adore and and this is this is um and what he's saying is that if you take your identity from what the world tells you you are it's going to lead to suffering right but if you can hold fast and you can claim, first of all, can you claim and then can you hold fast to your identity as a child of God, that, that, that you know, you can, you can be like a, a reed in, in the water. You can bend and flow with the, you know, the sort of the tragedies and the travesties and the, and of, of life because you're deeply rooted in this knowledge that you are the beloved of God. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes a really big difference. Yeah. I, I I think that if part of this book is to try to to help people claim that identity over and over and over again for 365 right. days. I, My editor helped me with this because he said um, I was having trouble knowing how to order the the quotes that I had fi- made the final selection of. And he said he said think of yourself as a composer of a symphony. And, um, you know, a composer has usually has recurring motifs um, throughout the symphony. You know, it might go into a slow movement or a fast movement, but the motif um, is woven through the entire symphony. And when he said that, it was like a, uh, you know, it was like a light came on for me mm-hmm. because I thought that's what this is. That it's this motif of you are the beloved. If you are the beloved, then what? Then what? And and the thing is, is that when you're the beloved, when you truly believe that, you can be a very loving person too, mm-hmm. I, because you you don't need someone else to tell you that you're lovable, that you're worthy of love, because you already know it. Mm-hmm. He he speaks a lot about, and I included a lot of meditations on this that that we can love because God loved us first. Mm-hmm. I I have, and, I have to ask this and, question. You, I, I, let me let me just interrupt because it, it's. It's a, it's a question that I can't answer, and you, and you both touched upon it. And that is, if somebody says to me, God loves you, I have absolutely no understanding of what that means. And it sounds like you have some, you do. And I'd like you to share that with me, because I really, I don't have a clue what that means. Really? Really. I really um, don't know what it means. Well, some little entity in the sky have feelings for me. What, what does that mean? I don't know. Oh. And I guess it could mean different things, for you, but I don't have a clue. I think it does, and I think for Henry, um, and I think because I've studied him or been with him, accompanied him, been apprenticed by him for so long, um, God is not the God out there, um, you know, sort of choosing who God loves. Um, God is God is within us, and God is is a it's it's in our breath. God is in our God is in our being, and why Henry puts so much emphasis on spending time with God is because we need to spend time within ourselves to feel, he called, he, uh, like a lot of people, he called it the inner voice of love. But, but is that an intuition, so why, or how does he know that? Did he have intu- some, uh, some revelation? I, I still, uh, unless... No. Is that no, an intellectual think, insight? What is it? Yeah. That, that leads him to no, think I that. don't think it's an intellectual insight. I think, I think, in part, it's faith. 
Mm-hmm. I think that um, there is an element of faith in this where right. it, it cannot be cannot be explained rationally. This is something that faith is something that we choose. And I think that when we choose faith, then we are also open to the mystery. Mm-hmm. We don't say we know, and Henry wouldn't say he knew. We don't say we know exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. But I do believe it is that it is that presence in our lives that that allows us to love, that calls us to love, that gives us the experience of knowing what love is. We we our our compass, our our inner compass is pointed towards love. We're searching for it, and that is that is God. I think that we run into uh, language problems. So people say, because we're used to using language in a certain way, they say God loves you, um, yeah. when perhaps the more accurate thing to say is that the very nature of the divine is love, and when you come into connection to that, yeah. uh, you, are lo- you are connecting to love, to the you know, cosmic you know, power of love, and you feel it because that's our nature too. That sounds. That sounds right. exactly I, I think, how Henry would describe I, I, it. It's a mystical. It's a mystical um, way of understanding the sacred, the divine in life. And Henry did use Catholic language, right. um, and he, because he was so steeped in it, and he did name that God. But he also called it the inner voice of love, mm-hmm. and he also called it love. <laughs> so I think that I think that to try to. I know it's hard for people not to do this, but it's, but it's almost like try to get, a, get around this, this issue around what's the name of this and more, and more about how can I connect myself to this, this divine source of love and be more loving myself. It's not simply that God loves us. It's that, is that we, like you just said, we are love. And how can we be more loving, more more um, tolerant, more forgiving, more um, prone to reconciliation, more all of those things. I think that that's all coming from a faith in God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the key for explaining this to anyone, and a person can accept or reject it or whatever, is faith. I, I, I think that these things can be said in the context of this is my faith, this is my belief, this is my, yeah. you know, and I have a very strong sense uh, uh, of this, and it's very difficult to describe what faith is, but it's a very strong feeling that supports this. But to say it without including faith, I think, uh, and I know in Catholicism, this concept of faith is very important, that without that, uh, it, it, it's very difficult to uh, discuss or, or you know, uh, to, to rationally present it. I think that has to be... I would there. think yeah. that without the deep experience of the love that uh, Henry Nouwen would talk about, uh, mm-hmm. it's hard to have the faith. So mm-hmm. you have this right. interaction between faith and experience. Right. Yes. I think that he would say t- um, is that, is that to, to give, to give um, God or, or presence or however you want to call this, um, 
to, to experience it or to be to be a person of faith, we must we must create space for it. I think that he talked a lot about creating space, mm. he, creating space for the stranger, creating space for the friend. But I think he was also saying creating space for for the experience of something other than what we what we're seeing with our eyes. The, you know, mm. the invisible. Mm. I think that he would. And and he would say that that this that is what takes the discipline. That's what takes the intentionality. That's what takes the self awareness and the and the consciousness to 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 bring that into your life. And you do that through through the practice of meditation, mm-hmm. solitude, silence, prayer, mm-hmm. and and so it's you're bringing that intentionally into your life. And it's not that you are you know trying to. Um, to know the God that sort of is presented in 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 the church necessary at all, but it's more like what is that? Where is where is that in me? Mm-hmm. How do I experience that myself interiorly? What what is it like when someone I know dies, and I feel their presence? I feel I feel, I know that they are no longer here physically, but they are mm-hmm. they are around me in some way in their absence there's something mysterious about that mm-hmm. yeah there's something there yeah very very in that experience yeah, very thought-provoking we, we have to come to an end here but uh any final words you'd like to say and any uh or phil or uh and but uh, i want i want very to insightful. um harken back to something uh, gabrielle said a little earlier when she talked about the editor who compared uh, what she was doing to composing a symphony. I just want to uh, give a shout out to that editor who was, happens to be have <laughs> been my editor on go. American oh. Veda. Is that right? Yeah. Gary Jansen. Gary Jansen was my editor on uh, oh. my last book, American Veda. And uh, isn't that wonderful? Yes. Small world. Yeah, good he, for Gary. I was. Yeah, he really unlocked something in me there, and then I was able to, to yeah, the, the book is is following the Christian liturgical year. It's it's following the cycles of the of the you know sort of the the na- nature cycles, and and but I've woven in this motif of you are the beloved throughout. Very good. Hmm. Oh. All right. Well, thank you so very much. Uh, great, great interview. Okay. Great, great insights. All right. Uh, and we look forward right. to having well, you on again. Thank you for inviting me on. Thank you. Okay. Thank you.